As an OBGYN and podcast host, I'm excited to share a resource that empowers mothers and mothers-to-be in managing their pelvic floor and core health. It's called Informed Pregnancy Plus, and it offers access to essential workshops that can significantly enhance your understanding and care of your body during and after pregnancy. Discover the Core Connection, a foundational five-episode series by Natalie Headings, a pre-postnatal exercise specialist. This series covers the basics of pelvic floor health, teaches key postural adjustments, and shows you how to activate your core properly. For a more comprehensive experience, check out Mindful Movement. This premium series provides in-depth content, including practical exercises and personalized strategies to strengthen your body. It's like having a pelvic health expert in your home. You can try the full subscription streaming library of Informed Pregnancy Plus absolutely free. Visit informedpregnancy.tv to start an empowered journey toward a healthier motherhood. Take this step for your health, your body, and your baby will thank you. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. ByHeart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, ByHeart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. In addition to its patented protein blend, their formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 weight-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system and makes it an easy-to-digest formula. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code Dr. Nicole for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. This is an extremely moving story, but warning, it does involve the death of a baby from a rare genetic condition. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 236. Whether this is your first time or you've been here before, I'm so grateful you're spending some time with me today. This is a very hard birth story, but I do hope that you listen as it's such a demonstration of strength and resilience through an incredibly challenging time with unimaginable ups and downs during the process. In today's episode, we have Carrie. Carrie is mom to Finley, Quinn, 
and their two dogs. They love spending time outdoors hiking and she loves playing ultimate Frisbee. Carrie had a normal pregnancy, but a very abnormal birth and neonatal period. She wanted an unmedicated birth, made it to eight centimeters, uh, had her water broken, and then ended up with a C-section. And we'll touch upon that today, but we're going to spend the bulk of the time talking about what happened after her daughter's birth. Her daughter spent seven weeks in the NICU where she was diagnosed with a rare epileptic condition, and she died at three months in their home on hospice care. Carrie has since gone on to have another daughter, and we touch upon that as well. Now, what happened with Carrie and her family is rare and not common at all, but rare and uncommon does not mean that it doesn't happen. The reality is that sometimes very difficult and painful circumstances happen during pregnancy and birth and things are not going to be okay. And we need tools to deal with those unfortunate, tragic, painful circumstances. And in sharing her story, Carrie just does such a beautiful job and is such a beautiful demonstration of the tools and things that are important to help navigate the unimaginable. So let's go ahead and get into this birth story with Carrie. Thank you so much, Carrie, for agreeing to come on to the podcast and share your story with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So why don't you start off a bit by telling us a bit about yourself and your family? Yeah. So we're located here in Tucson, Arizona, which is really hot right now. So we're stuck in a hot house. It feels like a piece of my identity right now. Right. Um, And I'm with my husband. And we have our two dogs and my daughter, Quinn, so are currently with us. And we're really outdoorsy people, which is why being in the heat feels like a part of our identity. (laughs) You can't really go outside right now. You cannot when it's a hundred and something (laughs) degrees. Yes, yes, yes. And we are going to spend most of our time talking about your first birth Mm -hmm. with your first daughter. That's correct. And her name was? Finley. Finley, Finley. All right. So let's, in order to understand what happened with the birth, we got to talk a bit about the pregnancy. So what was your pregnancy and prenatal care like with, with Finley? It was very normal. Everything seemed normal. Um, so I had a, I was under midwifery care. Okay. I have this really cool setup here in one of our local hospitals where the midwives have two birthing rooms within uh-huh. the hospital. So you can get that midwifery care. You can have that experience, but also feel that like safety net of just oh, that's nice. being yeah. in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So um, we went that route because I had wanted to do an unmedicated birth. Okay. That is not at all what happened, but that's what I wanted. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, and I, I loved my care because the, the midwives... Um, so you just had a lot of time with them. So my mm-hmm. appointments were, they were longer than 15 minutes every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very like focused on reassurance mm-hmm. and that things are normal. Right. And it was all stuff that I just really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so it was, it was good. I had nice. some, some pelvic girdle, some pain 
it got pretty intense at the end. So that okay. was, you know, kind of not fun. And we'll go into that later, I'm sure. But sure. other than that, you know, everything just seemed normal. Okay. Okay. Right up right. until the very end when it got was it. not normal. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. And then what are some things you did to prepare for birth? I feel like I did a lot. So I listened to so many of your podcasts uh-huh. <laughs> and then I got your birth prep course. Okay. And then the, the midwife care that I was in, it's like a community center and they have uh-huh. like a birthing class too. So you got oh, put nice. in this like cohort, cohort of people okay. and we had like hour long, this was all during COVID as well. So, right. um, I was pregnant summer of 2020. Okay. So you got put in this Zoom cohort with people mm-hmm. when we, you know, did birthing classes together and got to kind of know each other. I did not feel like that had as much information, honestly, as your podcast in your class, but it okay. was kind of a nice little extra. Then I got to know a little bit more about specifics of my area. Gotcha. Gotcha. I did not read any books, so I am not a reader. So I'm okay. so happy that <laughs> podcasts and <laughs> online courses exist. Yeah, exactly. So you said you wanted an unmedicated birth. Was there anything else that you wanted for your birth? Not really. I mean, I was hoping to just have an unmedicated vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't super opposed to an epidural. Okay. And I was really trying to just like leave my leave it as open as possible because, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I always hear you say birth's unpredictable. You don't Mm -hmm. know what's going to happen. And so I was trying not to get like too caught up in specifics or anything. I just, yeah, I, I wanted to be able to eat during my my labor though. And that was something (laughs) that was really big for me. So I wanted to be able to eat. Gotcha. And I'm sure the Midwest probably supported that. Uh, they did until I had to be induced and then it kind of, it's sort of, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll get, we'll definitely get to that. Yeah. Go ahead. Everyone tells you you're not going to want to eat. And I was like, no, I'm going to want to (laughs) eat. And I wanted to eat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, -uh. just like, I know my body and my body Mm -hmm. says I'm going to want to eat. Okay. All right. All right. And then was there anything at all that you were particularly scared about or worried about for your birth? The first time. No, other than just, I mean, I think like the general fears, like something's Mm going to happen Mm -hmm. or it's going to be really painful Mm -hmm. or, you know, I was like a little unsure if I was going to be able to do it unmedicated, Uh but yeah, it didn't have any like... I think just like the general nerves that everybody has. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so your pregnancy went along normally, like no issues with growth, ultrasounds and things looked okay. Yeah. Oh, and okay. I will say one of my fears was getting a C-section, which okay. I ended up having. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, no, we, the, the scans all looked good. Mm-hmm. Her, her 12 or her 20 week scan looked good. Uh-huh. The practice only did a, a 20 week ultrasound. Mm-hmm. So there was no, you know, nothing really like sure. aside from them checking her heart rate uh-huh. in the office, there really wasn't anything more done and and nothing was abnormal. Okay. All right. So then how did you come to be induced? Let's talk about your labor and your birth experience. Yeah. So right at 40 weeks, Mm -hmm. I woke up one morning and I felt a wetness and I thought "Mm, that might be my fluid. I might have ruptured, but then I'm like, it's not a lot. So I don't know. So I got on the phone with the midwives. They're like, you're describing enough come in. So I went in, they did the test and it was not amniotic fluid. Okay. But while I was in there, the midwife was just like, she's kind of like, my spidey senses are going off. That kind of something isn't okay. quite 
right here. Mm, okay. um, I'd like to do an ultrasound. Okay. And so I was like, okay. And so we did the ultrasound mm-hmm. and she was pretty large. Okay. And they, and I had a lot of, well, at the time I just had excess fluid. Okay. So, and then she was not passing her NST. We were in there for hours and mm-hmm. it just was not going well. So okay. they were like, we think we should induce today. And okay. I was just not ready for that mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I bargained with them and I was like, can I, can we do this tomorrow morning? I want right. to go home. I want to get my stuff. I want to mm-hmm. do these things. And so we, we got her to, you know, scro- show up on the screening well enough that they agreed that we could go home and do um, the induction in the morning. Okay. So I went home, I packed up all my stuff. Mm-hmm. We got my mom to come out from California so okay. to watch our dogs. Right. Um, and, and we went in uh, for an induction in the morning. Okay. And at that point, I was pretty um, concerned because, mostly because I really, I didn't want that C-section. Sure. And I knew we were starting the, the cascade of interventions, mm-hmm. potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I wanted unmedicated. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that could be a little more difficult mm-hmm. with an induction. Mm-hmm. And um, because of the excess fluid, she really was not staying on those monitors very well. Okay. And that turned out to just be a nightmare for me. Okay. Um, just okay. because, not that I was stressed that anything was happening with her, because again, so far I think I have a normal pregnancy, everything's sure. fine, I have a healthy sure. baby. So sure. just the flip from planning on intermittent monitoring mm-hmm. to the continuous mm-hmm. um, and having those things not work very well. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had planned on being mobile. That was mm-hmm. a big part of why I didn't want an epidural is because mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to move around. Right. I don't like being stuck places. Right. Right. <laughs> um, right. And then, and then I'm on these monitors. So, um, uh, and then they wanted to also put an IV in. Right. Uh-huh. And, from your podcast, I knew that I could ask for a saline lock. Mm-hmm. So I did that. Okay. <laughs> and they agreed to that. Okay. Well, good. <laughs> so I was happy about that. So at least I didn't have the IV machine too. Sure. The whole time. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So what did they use? How did they start the induction? Uh, I was not ripe at all. So they had to start with, I got one, I did the one that's inserted that you can remove. I can't remember what that one's called. Oh yeah. Uh, Cervidil or? Um, yeah, I mm-hmm. think so. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we started okay. with that. We went in, we ended up doing it in the evening. So, okay. um, <laughs> and they said I couldn't eat for an hour after I got it and I was hungry okay. going in. So I was like, we're going to have to wait on this one. I need to eat first. Right. Um, <laughs> so I made them wait. We got me food. Then I started the process and then overnight they, you know, we just waited. And then the conversation was in the morning, we'll start Pitocin but potentially you could get kicked into labor through this process. Okay. And, and then the arguments started about being able to eat because they didn't want me to eat if I was on Pitocin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, one of the midwives just threw up her hands. She wasn't one that I had seen a lot during my pregnancy. Okay. She was like, you know what? We'll just deal with this when you, t- when it comes up tomorrow. Okay. And we're not, we won't talk about this anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and later I realized I was like, she's not going to be on shift when this comes up. So <laughs> so she was kicking the, kick the can. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully it turned out not to matter because the cervical kicked me into labor. So I didn't need to be on Pitocin. Okay. Which was awesome. Nice. Kind of. Oh, uh, 
<laughs> I guess we'll, we'll hear why or why not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was great because I could eat, but it, I had these very strange contractions. So they okay. were not very painful. They weren't very uh-huh. strong, but uh-huh. they were strong enough. Um, but they would last for a very long time. And then I would have very little time in between my contractions. So I was almost like reversed. Like if you looked at the machine, it was just like flat, flat, flat. And then it would dip down and it would come back up and then it'd be flat, flat, flat. And and that's just like what I felt. So that became kind of exhausting because I just wasn't getting any break. break. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this was just from the Cervidil. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, So things are kind of moving along though. And I was like managing. Oh, and I had, um, I was really upset about the monitors. So I kept asking them, like, what are the other options? What are the other options? And I just mm-hmm. kept digging in. What are the other options? Mm-hmm. And eventually someone was like, we have um, Bluetooth sticky monitors, but they're yeah. like, they don't really work very often. So we don't like using them. And I was like, well, let's try it let's because try it. I'm miserable. Right. So right. get them out for me. Right. Um, and I actually ended up working great. So nice. Okay. You can only leave them on for 24 hours because the adhesive. But I was, and they were like, it's only going to be 24 hours. And I was like, let's just do it. I don't right, care. Right, um, right, right. I'm right. miserable. This will make it better. Okay, okay. So so that works great. So I ended up being able to move around. I got the freedom that I wanted, and I wasn't constantly just struggling with the monitors. Nice, okay. Um, so, yeah, I was really thankful for you at this point because I was, like, advocating for all the things. Like, oh. I'm going to just like I just kind of had you in my head like just Aww. keep asking questions <laughs> keep pushing for what you want right like, right um, right so that's what I kept doing yeah and um yeah so and then I ended up it was just really long and tiring um mm-hmm. so at one point I ended up getting a fentanyl okay break <laughs> which again I learned about in your birth course uh-huh okay I'll do that to get a break because I still uh-huh. didn't have an epidural mm-hmm did it help? It did. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I just passed out. I took okay. a nice long... I think I was on it for an hour. Okay. And I just slept that entire hour. Okay. So okay. I got a little break, and that was Good. great. Good. Um, and then we... Um, I think... Let's see. So then now we're like 10 at night. Yeah, like 10 at night. And okay. I'm um, at like 8 centimeters. Okay. So we're like a... 20 plus hours into this mm-hmm. or over 24 mm-hmm. hours into this because mm-hmm. they started and and you never got started on Pitocin mm-mm. okay all right did they break your water or offer to break your water at any point so I had a lot of fluid so every time they were doing um, cervical checks they're like we just feel this bag of water uh-huh. we don't want to and so we're talking about breaking the water but they're like we, we just we can't yeah all we feel is this bag of water so we don't want to break it and have the cord slip. So mm-hmm. we need you to get a little bit. It just kept me like, we need you to get a little more dilated. We need to get you a little more dilated mm-hmm. so that we can be confident that that head is going to drop yeah. in. Yeah. So at around eight centimeters, they finally broke my water. Okay. And that just, just like my contractions went from being not very painful, but to, long mm-hmm. to just... Often. so painful okay and it was a huge gush of water okay the midwife said that it was like some of the most the most water she had seen okay <laughs> <laughs> so it was a huge gush of water just immediately so painful and we did that for a while mm-hmm. 
this is where it all just becomes a blur to me because right. it just is so painful and I still don't have an epidural. So, okay. so I'm just in pain trying to catch my breath and I'm still not having a lot of break in between my contractions. Uh-huh. So, and then at some point a, an OB comes in mm-hmm. and she's with the midwife and she says, she's so calm and I really appreciated her, but she said, we're really concerned about the heart rate. Mm-hmm. Um, cause she kept dipping mm-hmm. and your water was very warm. So we're a little worried about infection. Okay. And I think there was one more thing. I can't quite remember, but my studies way was that we're worried about infection and we're worried about her heart rate cause mm-hmm. she kept dipping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're like, we think it's time to do a C-section. Okay. And at this point I was just in so much pain and I was at, like nine centimeters. So mm-hmm. I was not there yet. Right. Then I was like, okay, let's just get this over with. Um, okay. So I agreed to the C-section. Okay. okay. So Finley was born at 1215. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, gooby treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash itself. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra premium formula for moms who will not settle when it comes to their little ones. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with simple quality ingredients, no artificial dyes or preservatives, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Head to Amazon.com or Walmart.com to grab Dr. Mom Butt Balm because nothing comes between you and your baby, especially not diaper rash. And let me, so you, for almost 20, I mean, it was 18, 20 hours. No, yeah. More, was it longer than that? Or did, Well, so my contraction started at like 6 a.m. Okay. Okay. Right. All right. As I... Somewhere in the middle Somewhere of the early there. morning. Yeah, my... yeah, yeah. So it's been a, quite some time. Mm-hmm. Did they say, like, maybe you can get an epidural and then we can see how things go? Or were they just like, no, we're just, something is not, mm-hmm. you, you know, the heart rate's too concerning and you're yeah. not close enough to deliver. We need to just go ahead with the C-section. Yeah. Okay. We didn't really have too much conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had a doula. So okay. through all oh, of this, yes. I had a doula. Okay. I forgot about that. Part. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And she was great. It was really awesome to have her there through this okay. whole thing. And so, you know, the doctor came in and she told us this information. And then she's like, we can give you a little time to talk about it. She left. So my husband and my doula and I, we all discussed it and uh-huh. we just decided the the c-section and you know knowing what we know now about finley likely she was having seizures so her heart rate Mm. was like probably fully dropping out because that's what it would do once she was earthside so i don't think it was just like a slight dip i think she was like and what she would do you know once we had her on monitors constantly is Mm -hmm. her heart rate would drop really 
fast and uh-huh. for a very short amount of time, and then it would come back up. Okay. So, um, so when she was in the NICU, for a long time, they actually thought that the sensors were malfunctioning because, mm. you know, because their they're, pulse oxes can have, like, errors and stuff. Sure. Because right. she would dip, and then by the time a nurse or anyone would come in to check on her, uh-huh. it would be right back up. You know, they're coming in, and it's already going back up. Right. Right. So I think right. that's what was happening when she was still during labor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I think okay. once the, the contractions really started to squeeze her and mm-hmm. cause she, you know, with seizures, like things can trigger them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think once she was kind of experiencing all those contractions full on without the water, then it really just, she was just okay. starting to have those seizures more. Okay. 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 So then was the, was the C-section, it's, how was the C-section itself? And then I guess, tell us about how she ended up going to the NICU. Yeah. So I mean, the C-section was fine. Um, they came in, they prepped, everybody was pretty calm because mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, it's an emergent, but not emergency. Sure. So my husband got to come in with me. I've had a few surgeries in my life. Um, I'm an athlete and I've had some sports injuries and okay. some surgeries. So it wasn't my first surgery. Um, Gotcha. So I was, you know, it was okay for me. Okay. I spent a lot of time talking to the anesthesiologist. They're uh-huh. right by your head. Uh-huh. So, um, <laughs> they're a good distraction. <laughs> and I just kind of chatted my way through it. and wasn't really excited about, obviously no one's excited about getting a C-section, but it's mm-hmm. a little nerve wracking because you're awake and right. things are happening. And, right. um, thankfully the spinal worked well so mm-hmm. I didn't feel any pain but I did feel that tugging yeah it's a weird sensation it's hard to describe until you mm-hmm. yeah it's like you know something's happening but it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I was also right before I had gone in I listened to your episode on inductions mm-hmm. and I had listened to something about c-sections uh-huh. I think I had listened to your story so I knew like that some amount of like that feeling was normal mm-hmm. so that was kind of reassuring so then she came out, her APGAR scores were really low. Okay. And so they took her to the NICU and okay. I was kind of, honestly, like I was not super with it at this point. Like, mm-hmm. I'm probably I'm tired. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like trying to just keep myself calm being in this setting that I was right. not super comfortable with. Right. Um, so I wasn't like fully aware of what was happening, but, mm-hmm. and my memory gets a little foggy around this point, but she went to the NICU. And at this point, we weren't too concerned because it's not, I've learned, it's not super unusual for a C-section baby to go to the NICU initially mm-hmm. and get that suction and the help right. with their breathing and then they get released. Right. Um, so that's initially what happened. Okay. And then back on the, the recovery ward, um, I have a couple of those hours get lost in my mind like I don't even know but my my mom was there and my husband was there and at some point she got released from the NICU and was back in the room with us and I have like oh so she actually came out of the NICU yeah for a bit okay okay yeah she came out of the NICU and she was in the room with us and I was trying to breastfeed her Uh and she she wasn't doing it wasn't latching wasn't rooting wasn't doing anything and I just kind of started like my little, my mom's sweaty senses kind of started going off. I'm like, mm. what's going on here? And right. then the pediatricians even came in and looked at her and they did the thing where they like raised her arms and dropped them. Uh-huh. And she didn't respond correctly to that. So then they brought in like an x-ray machine and they're trying to figure out what was going on. And uh-huh. um, 
but again, at this point, like we're not super concerned yet. Right. And then because she was having trouble feeding, I asked for a lactation consultant to come in. Uh huh. So the lactation consultant comes in and I'm showing her what I'm noticing that she's not latching, that she's mm-hmm. not rooting, um, that she wasn't really grasping my fingers, mm-hmm. kind of that she just wasn't having a lot of those normal reflexes. Mm-hmm. And the lactation consultant was like, yeah, this is, this something's isn't right. Mm-hmm. You know, something's not right. We need to get the NICU team back in here. Okay. So then they came back in and I think she probably had a seizure while she, they were in there because it, the doctor came in and was like, her lips are, are blue. We got to get her out of here. Right. And so then she ended up going back to the NICU. So okay. that was like a little unnerving. Cause it was like, that sure. was the first rush thing that had happened was the sure. doctor comes in, looks at her and is like, we got to get her out of here. Right. So she goes down to the NICU. My husband went with her. I'm stuck in the bed because I just had a C-section. Right. So then, you know, I got down there a little bit later and they had her on oxygen. Okay. And then it became like trying to figure out what's going on. Okay. 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 Yeah. And then how long before they figured out what was going on? Weeks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Weeks. And it, and it was getting worse. Okay. Right. Because she's having seizures. So she's losing function, but mm-hmm. the, tricky thing about babies from what I've learned in this experience is that it's, it's really hard to tell when a baby's having a seizure mm-hmm. um, because baby movements are so uncoordinated right? and babies are so unpredictable sure. and they're, um, oh my gosh, just escaping me. The brain EEG yeah. um, are hard to read when they're teeny tiny. So gotcha. within those first couple of days, she had her first EEG and it came back. A little abnormal, but the mm-hmm. neurologist is like, I don't think she's having seizures, but we'll put right. her on phenobarbital, and but I think she'll be off of it by the first year of her life. And okay, and so that was kind of the start of that NICU roller coaster, uh-huh. where like every day we were hearing a different thing, and a different thing was happening, and it was just like every day we're just, we don't know what's sure going on and it just kept looking worse and worse okay um whereas and by worse and worse it was like she was having more seizures during the day so she was just like she wasn't getting by worse and worse i guess it was like she wasn't getting better so they were hoping like you know like initially they were hoping that like oh this is a c-section baby Mm -hmm. um she had low apgar score is like maybe she'll get used to life outside the womb and she'll um, start learning how to suck and she'll start learning how to do these things, but she, um, she couldn't swallow. Okay. So she had no swallow reflex. So she couldn't all. take a bottle or anything. No bottle. Nothing. Okay. No breastfeeding. Um, okay. they had to put an NG tube in. Uh-huh. She had to be on oxygen okay. and she would go like on and off of oxygen. So they would take her off the oxygen and she would kind of do okay. And then would come back in. She'd be back on the oxygen okay. and, so I was like, okay, this is clearly like not going in the right, right. direction. Right. But right. they had no idea what was wrong with her. Oh my gosh. So. And then you're, in the meantime, you're recovering from having surgery. Yeah. And then you're going back and forth to the NICU yeah. every day. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. 
we stayed in the hospital as long as we could. Mm-hmm. We, we took that full five days for the C-section yep. mm-hmm. and we got an extra day because of the 1215 thing. Uh-huh. Um, so mm-hmm. we were there as long as we could. And, um, and we were just, you know, so that was nice because you can wheel down, wheel back. Mm-hmm. And I started pumping in the hospital. Okay. And I got hooked up with a lactation consultant there and she was great. So we got my milk to come in mm-hmm. to, and uh, finally got donor milk and, and then thankfully, I only live like 10 minutes from the hospital. Okay. Okay. So thankfully, it wasn't a big time. There wasn't a big commute time. Right. So we sure. would kind of go in in the morning, spend a couple of hours there, go home for lunch. I would kind of rest. Then we'd go back for like an afternoon. Then we'd mm-hmm. come home for dinner. Mm-hmm. And then we'd go back another time for like a bedtime thing. And then we'd go to bed and then we'd wake up and we'd do the whole thing again. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then were you on leave from work at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was on maternity leave and my husband amazingly had paternity leave for six weeks. Okay. So for the first bit, he was on leave, although he was also a college student and this was happening at the end of a semester. So he somehow finished his semester. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, That's crazy. yeah. 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 I don't know how he did that. Yeah. And were you at all thinking like, I mean, obviously you're hoping that she's going to come home mm-hmm. at, at some point. And were you like, well, how do I, you know, you think your leave is to be able to bond with your baby or was your work, you know, had you even gotten to that point? So it was like a real roller coaster because mm-hmm. the first couple of weeks we think we're trying to process like, okay, we're, so now we're going to have this high needs child mm-hmm. and we're going to have to figure this out. And we're trying to, you know, just process that. And it's, again, like kind of a struggle because we're, really active outgoing outdoors mm-hmm. people and um, right. and so that doesn't always fit super well with sure. a high needs child but we're like okay we'll figure this out and, mm-hmm. and then at one point the social worker told us started scanning us to try to do the paperwork for like disability services and and okay. um and arizona long-term care which is like the medicaid care for uh-huh. for people who are gonna need a high level of care right and they, and she's talking about being on a vent and that's where I kind of lost it. So that was like the end of her for me because I was like, we're not, I, I talked to my doctor. I was like, why is she tell, talking to me about a vent when I don't, right. we don't even know what's wrong yet. What right. is happening? Right. And I told the doctor then I don't want anyone to, to speculate about what our life is going to be like or what she has until you can give me a diagnosis. Okay. So I don't want to hear what might be happening when you have a diagnosis, let us know. And then we'll deal with what what it is. is. Okay. Okay. So then how did they finally get a diagnosis and what was it? Yeah. So finally they went through like all the medical metabolic things. It wasn't any of those. So it was a lot of like crossing off answers Mm -hmm. and she has had something called Odahara's syndrome. So it's a specific type of seizure disorder Uh and it's, it's my understanding is that it's diagnosed just from a clinical stance. So it's diagnosed from what you're seeing, right? So she, they ended up doing another EEG. Uh Um, She had to be sedated for it and she ended an MRI. She had to be sedated for the MRI Uh and the MRI came back fine, but the EEG showed more um, seizure activity than the first one. It was more clear. Okay. And, and that was pretty devastating because the second one showed that she was having 
really low brain activity okay. and it was a burst suppress. They call it a burst suppression. So she has a suppressed brain activity and then she would have these bursts of activity, which were seizures and then go back to suppressed. Okay. So unfortunately that meant that she really wasn't, she didn't have a lot of brain activity mm-hmm. most of the time. So she wasn't really aware of what was going on. She wasn't going to gain any skills. And then when she was, and then she was having a lot of seizures, like okay. hundreds. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And then another part of that diagnosis is that the seizure medications aren't effective. Okay. So there's no way to control the seizures. Right. Um, so unfortunately, that was a terminal diagnosis for her because eventually, you know, she's just going to have so many seizures. That, sure. Yeah. So that was really hard. Devastating. But, yeah. Yeah. But at that point, we were about, I think we were like four or five weeks into being in the NICU. Okay. So the benefit of that was like the NICU kind of had become like this support system for us. Mm-hmm. So we got yeah. to know a lot of the doctors. Mm-hmm. They took amazing care of us. Okay. We got to know a lot of the nurses. Yeah. Um, NICU nurses are angels. They're just, they are. They're mm-hmm. angels. <laughs> and... Um, a bunch of them stepped up to be her, her primary, which meant that she had the same nurses as much as possible. So oh, she had nice. four primaries, okay, two nights, two days. So most of the week we saw the same faces. Nice. Um, even people who weren't her primary, like they would keep the same people on her case. Mm-hmm. And we had a, when they gave us a diagnosis, we had a, a case review with mm-hmm. the doctors, uh, her primary nurses, the nutritionists. I mean, there's a bunch of people in this room that, that charge, or like the nurse manager, and everyone was just like, what can we do to make this easiest on you? Sure. Like, what, what do you want? What can right. we do? Right. And so she was on the vent from the MRI, and she hadn't come off of it because they tried to take her off of it. And she had trouble breathing on her own. Okay. So during that meeting, we decided we're going to leave her on the vent. We're going to do genetic testing. Mm -hmm. We're going to wait for that genetic testing to come back. Okay. And then we're going to use that information to make our final decisions on what we wanted to do. Okay. Um, So that left her on a vent for two weeks, which was really hard. That is hard. Yeah. Um, It's hard to hold your baby when they're on a vent. Sure. Yeah. Even harder when they're having seizures. They yeah. were really nervous about her excavating herself because it was hard to get it in. Right. So right. that was probably the hardest part. Okay. But during that meeting, they also asked us, you know, is there anything you want to do? And I said, I want to get her outside. I want her to see outside. Mm-hmm. So they had this really nice courtyard mm-hmm. and um, this part trips me up a little bit, but they were amazing. They had to wheel her out on her vent it took a respiratory tech, two doc- a doctor, oh, and right. two nurses. And they did that for us several times. Oh. And um, when, she, when she got outside for the first time, it was the calmest she had ever been. Right. And she was just looking around and listening. And it was, um, it was the best gift they could have given us. Oh, that's really, so, how can we not cheer <laughs> up with that? My goodness. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, that was a really special moment for yeah. us. Um, and at this point also, they didn't think she was going to come off the vet. So, okay. um, so that was really important because we didn't think we were going to have that opportunity sure. anywhere sure. else. Sure. 
So the testing came back. Nothing pops. Um, there are a couple genetic conditions that mm-hmm. cause this syndrome, but mm-hmm. we didn't have any of them. Okay. So it's an unknown cause. Okay. Um, which was, at first it was kind of a relief because I'm like, okay, if we want to have another kid, we don't have to do IVF. Sure. Um, right. But then when we actually got into the depths of having another kid, it was like, oh, I wish we, we could test for this and no. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Okay. And so yeah. then what, what happened between like NICU and taking her home? Like how did, how did you come to, to that decision? Yeah. So, um, there is a, a palliative and hospice care pediatrician in town. Okay. And so they came in and they met with us and, and they really talked over all the options. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one thing I'll say is our, our NICU's doctors were so great in that they kept telling us, ask every question you have, ask every question you have, because you have us here now and mm-hmm. we will answer your questions. Right. And so we, we asked everything we could think of, of like, what, you know, is there anything that could this have been the cause? Could th- I got to run through all those mom thoughts sure. of like, uh, was that one time that I break mm-hmm. really hard, the cause right. of this, um, right. was the right. COVID vaccine that I got the cause of this was, right. you know, you just got to run through all of those things mm-hmm. and they were so patient with us and answered all those questions. And as we were, you know, the team answered all our questions of like, if we were to have another child, Mm -hmm. what would that look like? Would this happen again? What are the, you know, what are the chances? So they ran through all of that with us. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the same team thing with this hospice team. So, you know, the doctors gave us our options. Like you could put her on a vent and take her home on a vent. Um, or we could take her home in hospice care. Um, and we got, we got to run through with them. Like they answered, spent a lot of time sitting with us and answering our questions of mm-hmm. what does it actually look like to be on a vent? What does that mean? Like, and ultimately we decided that that was not, wasn't fair to her and it wasn't fair to us mm-hmm. because again, there's no way to control these seizures. Right. So putting her on a vent would just prolong her experiencing an endless amount of seizures gotcha. and, and it was going to tie us to the house. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't going to be able to leave the room that the vent was put in. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. and as you know, again, like as people who love the outdoors and mm-hmm. see that as such an important part of life, being stuck in one room, yeah, just constantly like, having seizures. Mm-hmm. It just, it didn't, that to us mm-hmm. didn't feel like a quality of life for her that we yeah. wanted to, to expose her to. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, such a personal decision and everyone's going to make a different one, but sure. for us, it just, it wasn't the right one. Yeah. So then we talked about how we would get her off the vent and what that would look like. Okay. And again, our hospital was awesome. Mm-hmm. So they had this, um, hospice house it's called pepe's house and it's okay. on the hospital campus but not attached uh-huh. and we decided that we would excavate her there because okay. we didn't want to do it in the NICU where we had our own room right but there's like mirrors i mean there's windows everywhere sure it's not a very um 
personal space is right. very you know medical mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. it's a hospital mm-hmm. room mm-hmm. Um, it's an icu so, just for babies <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um there weren't you know the one thing i hated about this hospital is there were no windows to the outside so uh, we're like in this little cave and that was gotcha. rough on us yeah. yeah um so we decided we'll take her to pepe's house and that way the room that we would excavate her in there's a courtyard right off of that so we okay. could kind of just take her out there and mm-hmm. spend some time mm-hmm. and and we thought we were saying good goodbye there. Right. Because you thought when um, you extubated her that <laughs> she would peacefully pass away or yeah, right, right after she was extubated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That okay. was the doctor's best guess. Okay. Um, and, you know, and this is a neurologist, the NICU doctor, the pulmonologist. Mm-hmm. We had talked about trying to give her the best chance to make it off the vent. So we actually mm-hmm. stopped one of the, the seizure medications or two of them to kind of help her with that one that suppressed respiratory and another one that I thought was making her throw up a lot. And it turns okay. out it was. So, yeah. So we, we, uh, transported her over there. It took a, like a transport team. So they had to mm-hmm. put her in the thing, put her in a, yeah, it was the whole thing. And then, um, one of her NICU nurses or two of her NICU nurses came over and like volunteered there. They were there to do it right. and be with us. And we had her palliative nurse and they, you know, pulled the tube out and she just started breathing. Wow. Like, like she was breathing the best she had ever breathed. She was just like, thank you for, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but, right. Um, right. you know, cause she had been on oxygen. Uh-huh. If she wasn't on the, the vent, she was on oxygen and then right. they pull it out and she's just breathing. And we right. were all just staring like, at each what, other. Like what, what is what's happening? happening? Yeah. Um, and we had brought in a photographer that, uh-huh. um, now I lay me down to sleep. They, they do photographer uh-huh. photography for stillbirths and uh-huh. we brought them in and they were doing photography for us. And again, we thought we were saying bye. And then the day goes on and the nurse says, she's doing um, pretty well. So if this is a Thursday, she said, if you make it through the weekend, then we're going to send you home. <laughs> the roller coaster okay. continues because we were not expecting to take her home. Sure. Um, and so then that was a whole another roller coaster of emotions of like, you know, we're so happy that we get to take her home. We're happy that we get more time with her time without the tubes and everything. And also just a ton of fear because now how much time medically fragile child at home and how much time and what is this going to look like? And are we able to do this? And we've had the care of of Nikki staff, right? They've been caring for her and now we have to take this on all by Mm -hmm. ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so she, she made it through the weekend just great. Um, so now she's completely off of oxygen. She's doing great. I mean, she's still having a lot of seizures. Right. But for her, she's right. doing great. Right. And so we went home. <laughs> okay. And then she got to meet our dogs, which was a really big deal to us. Right. And, and also this is the summer, summer in Tucson, right? So we talked about how you can't go outside, uh-huh. but, uh-huh. um, nature gifted us a beautiful monsoon season. So it rained every day and we got to go run outside after it would stop raining. We'd go right. outside, we'd take her on right. stroller walks. Right. Um, and we had another like six, seven weeks at, at home with her. Wow. Another six or seven weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So she ended up passing away, um, a couple days after her three month birthday. Okay. And then was it, was she declining during that time or was it just one day she just peacefully passed away? Um, 
so she she liked to do the unexpected that is one thing i will say about her that kid did the unexpected right she came with it so um one day she she threw up and she stopped breathing and she stopped mm-hmm. breathing for like four minutes and we thought okay this is it my husband and i are crying we're calling the hospice in to you know declare her mm-hmm. it's the most upsetting thing and then all of a sudden she just started breathing again um oh and so she gosh. did that to us like three or four more times okay and then eventually one of the times she did that and and, and then was- she just kind of she, she started breathing again, but she mm. didn't fully recover. And then she kind of just peacefully passed from okay. there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And how helpful was the hospice staff? Oh my gosh. They were great. Uh, um, I just all, every step, everybody was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hospice staff was really great and that linked us with some really great services. So okay. what kind of services? Then the hospice, the, the, doctor would come in and visit us uh-huh. um like once every week or every like every two weeks i think she okay. came uh-huh. uh we had a hospice nurse that came every week okay uh we had a hospice social worker okay who came and just checked in on us right. um that one wasn't my favorite but i think it's probably helpful for people and then the big one is you we got a hospice um therapist so uh. once she passed Mm-hmm. a bereavement therapist okay um okay. and and it took a couple months but we finally we made that call to talk to that that therapist sure. and mary Kay was fabulous and we did um we would do it together my husband and i uh-huh and it was so helpful okay okay she was great that's amazing that you had those resources and yeah. did insurance cover all of that yeah Well, and so that's the other thing about hospice that's great is for somehow once you're on hospice care, like Mm. everything becomes free. Okay. (laughs) I don't really understand it, but I had a huge hospital bill from my actual hospital stay Mm. and my insurance, but Mm. then everything else was 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 covered. Okay. Well, that's good. At least you didn't have to have to have to worry about that financial thing for paying for all of that. No. Um, did they connect you with other families or anything? Or have you connected with any other families who've experienced this sort of? Um, they did not. Loss. But mm-hmm. I had this acquaintance who had lost their child, I think like five years before us. Uh-huh. Um, that I was like, I had met them at a wedding like mm-hmm. years and years ago, a friend right. of a friend. And I was friends with them on Facebook. And five mm-hmm. years ago, they lost their fin to a genetic disorder and he passed away around three months old too okay and so i can't remember i think i reached out to them Uh or they reached out to me but we've been really connected ever since then so we we text we message we are just in contact with each other and and they were such a helpful support system for Mm -hmm. me and they had to make a lot of the similar decisions, like sure. vent and all of that. Gotcha. Um, and then they actually had their their second child uh-huh. was born right before Finley mm. was born. So we kind of have this like... Gotcha. Okay. We're like five years behind them right, type thing. Right, um, right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. 
Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. And so during that time, were there things that, I mean, you mentioned some of the helpful things, the social work, you know, the, well, the hospice, the NICU nurses and things like that. Were there any other things that were helpful that, I mean, did you go back to work? No. So I ended up quitting my job, which my job is really hard and stressful and it kind of put everything into perspective of okay. me. Like I need okay. a new, okay. this is not like this, uh, the way uh, forward in okay. life. Okay. Gotcha. And then gotcha. actually going back okay. to school. Okay. But yeah, the other thing that is really helpful is we have a really great community here. So mm -hmm. my husband and I both play ultimate Frisbee mm -hmm. and well, he doesn't play anymore. I still do. Anyway. So that is like a, a really good community of, uh -huh. of people. Like you have your teammates and all these people and, and they were so, um, and it gave me something to go back to as well. Gotcha. But people were bringing over food. They were offering to walk our dog. Right. They were just checking in on me. They, we got to bring Finley over to one of their houses for dinner okay. and played board games with them. And just like, I think sometimes people think when someone's going through stuff like this, you, you have to do something really big for them. Right. Or you have to engage in these really hard conversations or different mm -hmm. things. And that's really not what we always need. Mm -hmm. like sometimes it's just nice for people to not act like everything's normal. Cause it's not normal, right? but to still offer to hang out with you, offer to gotcha. talk to you, gotcha. offer to just, you know, like I went back to playing ultimate and, um, some of the nicest things people did was just give me like a knowing face look mm -hmm. and, and a hug. And then right. we moved on and right. we, we, we played ultimate, you know, it didn't have to be like, you're going to go into this, grieving process with me mm -hmm. you can just if you used to invite me out to lunch just invite me to lunch still gotcha 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 and then was there anything that people did that was harmful that was like don't please don't do that not very many people but well that's <laughs> yeah. good the biggest thing i think though is some people it's a really hard thing to accept that this new life was 
born Mm -hmm. incompatible with life, right? Mm -hmm. Like people don't want to accept that, Mm -hmm. but that was our reality. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people like, especially when we're going through the process of getting our diagnosis and I would say things like, yeah, it's looking really bad. Mm -hmm. We don't know what it is yet, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's not good. Mm -hmm. They would be like, don't say that it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be okay because Mm -hmm. like we knew it wasn't going to be okay. Mm -hmm. The doctors were telling us it wasn't going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it's, it's not always helpful to like mm-hmm. have this positive, like mm-hmm. everything's going to be okay outlook mm-hmm. when we just know it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. People, some people would try to like ask me what we were doing to help her with like her developmental skills. Mm-hmm. It's, again, it's like nothing because right. she's not going to develop. Right. You know, what we're doing is spending as much time as we can holding her, mm-hmm. making her as comfortable as possible, mm-hmm. taking a lot of pictures. Sure being with her, right. having our friends meet her, right. but development is not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is people try to like suggest other doctors mm. and it's just like, you know, Tucson's not a giant place. Did we have like the, the best minds in the world on this? Probably not, but our doctors were really good mm. and they were very compassionate mm. and, and in the end, like, it wasn't going to make a difference. Like, you know, if this was like a cancer diagnosis, maybe, you right. know, but there was the thing with this is Odahar is there's, there's no cure. Right. Um, all you can do is manage symptoms. And so it was kind of hurtful for them to suggest that like, we weren't doing the best thing for our daughter mm-hmm. because you can bet, like if there was a way to get a better doctor and that was going to do something. Right. I would have been making every phone call and knocking down every door, but that just wasn't it. So I guess to boil that down, it's like, listen to the people that you're talking to Mm -hmm. and don't give that unsolicited advice Mm -hmm. and just accept with them what is happening. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, um, as we're getting towards the end here, I know you've since had another baby (laughs) (laughs) and how was that pregnancy and birth and, you know, that postpartum period for you? I know it's hard to sum up in like a few (laughs) minutes, but were you, were you scared? Were you, um, especially since it was another girl, were you, what were your thoughts? Another girl with a due date exactly two years and one month apart. Um, yeah, so that was hard. But, um, I spend a lot of time trying to, and my husband and I, we talked a lot about what do we need to get Mm -hmm. through this? Mm -hmm. Um, and so we had a preconception appointment. We talked a lot about like, what are the things that are going to get us through this? Mm -hmm. And we, and we spent a lot of time doing that. And so that was really helpful. So we knew that we wanted to be treated like high risk, even though technically we weren't Mm -hmm. because there was no indication it was going to happen again. And everyone had told us and the doctors were on board with that. So we got treated high risk, which meant we got to have extra scans. We Mm -hmm. did NSTs. Mm -hmm. Um, Thankfully Quinn moved a ton in utero, which was lovely because Finley did not move that much. Okay. And so that was like a everyday difference. Okay. Um, I spent more time during this pregnancy connecting with her. I Mm -hmm. I was really busy when I was pregnant with Finley. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't notice um, some of the decreases in movement that I think she was having. Okay. They weren't like 
super noticeable, but I think had I really been like tuned in, maybe I would have noticed. And right. really that wouldn't have done me any favors because then I just would have been worried for longer. Yeah. But yeah. it was nice to have that reassurance with Quinn. We changed providers. So okay. the first doctor was the one that did my C-section uh-huh. and she's a great doctor and she's lovely, but we could, I could tell that she was really had a lot of feelings about it too. You know, she mm. had been the doctor that delivered Finley and she seemed concerned and was questioning, I think, whether we were ready to have another one. And at 36, it wasn't like an option to wait too long. And yeah. I also don't think that's something you get over. So sure. time wasn't going to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So ultimately, I changed providers back to the same group. So I wasn't with the midwives. I was with uh-huh. the OBs, but they're part okay. of the same practice. Okay. Uh, okay. So okay. I still had that kind of OB high risk lens. Um, and we were monitored still. And so, yeah, I think just knowing what we needed Uh and then advocating for ourselves to get that Mm -hmm. made it doable. Gotcha. Gotcha. And did you opt for another C-section or did you have a vaginal birth? I wanted a vaginal birth, but she, um, during one of the NSTs, Quinn just wasn't looking so great. So okay. 10 days before her due date, the one of the doctors was like, we think we should just go ahead and do a repeat C-section. Okay. And she was also a big baby. And I also had excess fluid again, okay. which was, um, that was a little triggering when the excess <laughs> I, I, fluid, but I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Turns out I, I just make a lot of fluid. <laughs> okay. And big baby, like how big was she? Um, she wasn't that big. I mean, mm. so Quinn was, uh, nine pounds, three ounces, okay. at 38 weeks. Okay. And Finley was born eight pounds, 12 ounces. Okay. Okay. So okay. not gigantic, but sure. 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 Um, yeah. So because it was like, and I knew I didn't want to do another induction because I mm-hmm. did not like that process. Mm-hmm. So even though they were willing to do it with me, mm-hmm. that was kind of my baseline of whether to get a VBAC or not, go Got for the it. VBAC or not was induction. And I was not going to do that. Got it. Okay. Um, in waiting for my C-section, I actually went into labor. Oh. <laughs> um, but then it kind of slowed up uh-huh. and I was didn't have my snacks with me and I was really hungry and <laughs> I had to have the monitors, the continuous monitoring right. again and the, the tape one didn't work. Uh, so I was like really stuck. Okay. So after about mm, like 12, 10 hours of that, I was okay. like, mm, I'm out. Okay. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> <sighs> and then Quinn came out screaming, happy, any issues or concerns or anything? <sighs> Thankfully not. She okay. came out great Apgar scores. She came out just fine. Didn't yeah. have to go any NICU stay. Okay. Nice. Um, we had a little bit of problems breastfeeding, but she was latching. It just mm-hmm. was a shallow latch. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to worry. And then she's just been like a little wiggler screamer. Awesome. Happy. Yeah. Baby. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been really great. Yeah. Well, good, good, good. Well then what, as we wrap up, what is the one favorite piece of advice or one thing you would say to families who are expecting right now? Yeah. Originally I was going to say bring snacks, but I think the more (laughs) um, general advice I would say is get to know yourself. Mm. Um, and, and what it is that makes you happy and what it is that makes you feel calm and just know yourself because that's going to be the thing that you know, especially if you're having a hard time mm-hmm. that gets you through the most. Right. Um, like, you know, postpartum is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that's also a time where it's good to know yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for, for me, I know that walking my dog is my joy. Right. And so those first six weeks when I was recovering from the C-section were really hard, but I just kept having it in my head. Mm. This isn't forever. I'm going to get back to those things I enjoy. Right. And as soon as I could, I restarted those. Mm. And then I felt so much better. Nice. Um, and knowing what we needed through the pregnancy to feel okay helped so much. And, mm-hmm. and in the NICU, knowing like we don't want to know, we don't want to guess the diagnosis. Let us know when you right. know right. <laughs> helped us a lot. So. Right. Just right. getting in touch with yourself and, and know what you want and then advocate for that. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So where can women connect with you? You can say nowhere if, that, <laughs> if that's an option or if that's the option. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram. My, um, I'm at, what is it? Coco Butternut. My nickname is okay. Coco. So. All right. All right. Um, yeah. And that's about it. Okay. Really. Okay. Well, we'll put that, put that in the show notes. Well, thank you again for agreeing to to come on and and share your story and share Finley's legacy with everyone and how she impacted um, your lives and just helping people who may also be experiencing a difficult time. Yeah. Oh, and just one last um, plug is, you know, we do a thing every every year on her birthday, April Mm -hmm. 22nd, but Mm -hmm. you can do it anytime. Mm -hmm. It's just take a little time outside to just Take in your surroundings, enjoy mm-hmm. it, whether it's like coffee or a hike or whatever. It doesn't have to be anything big, but we, we have everyone, our friends do that on her birthday. Aww, so I love that. Um, I love that. Just take a, t- a little moment to yeah. enjoy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again, Carrie. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. Wasn't that incredible? I so appreciate Carrie coming on and taking the time to share her story. I know that's not easy and I really, really appreciate her doing so. Now, you know, after every episode, when I have a guest on, I do something called Dr. Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top takeaways from the conversation. And here are my Dr. Nicole's Notes from my conversation with Carrie. Number one, just a gentle reminder that ultrasound and genetic tests are not perfect. They don't show everything. Yes, they show quite a bit of things. Yes, they are quite helpful, but they don't show every possible thing that can happen um, that's a problem during pregnancy or after birth. Number two, I really hate how much Carrie had to advocate for herself about things. And this was even with working with midwives. She had to advocate for herself about eating during the process. She had to advocate for herself about monitoring. But that is the unfortunate reality of giving birth in the hospital is that you just may need to advocate for yourself. I so wish it was not the case, but that's just how things are. So you really need to be prepared to do that. Of course, listen to the podcast is a great way to do that, but you also need childbirth education. That is a necessity. I have the birth preparation course, my childbirth education class. You can check it out, drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. But there are many options out there. I just encourage you to please, please do childbirth education because it's really important important to help you advocate for yourself. And it'll be something that you can hold on to if things do take a turn that was unanticipated, unexpected, or, you know, not what you wanted. 
Number three, know yourself and know your values. Carrie and her family, her husband, they were very clear on the things that were important to them. For example, nature was really important to them. So they really wanted to get their baby girl out in nature and they were able to do that. They really prioritized spending time with her and doing so in a way that felt good and right for their family. They didn't take her home on a ventilator because then she would have to be confined to that room and they wanted to be able to take her out and experience the things that were important for them and their family and make the most of the time that they had together. They stayed with the team that they felt comfortable with, even though they had a rare condition, they could have gone maybe to try to get an opinion at a bigger place or that kind of thing. But they stayed where they felt comfortable because that's what worked for them. They thought about how they wanted to approach the next pregnancy. She decided to be treated high risk because that's what felt good for her. Not necessarily because the condition was likely to recur, but that's what she needed to have her own peace of mind. She also changed doctors as well for the next pregnancy. Please remember that you are an expert on you and your expertise matters. And it's so critical that you bring the expertise about yourself to the table because that is what is going to help you. That is what is going to sustain you when things get challenging. And then the final thing I'll say is that it's hard to know sometimes what to do for people who are in grief or who are having a difficult time. Don't avoid them. All you have to do is be present. It doesn't have to be anything grandiose or or complex. Just be present and don't give any unsolicited advice. I learned in another episode, um, something that is usually typically quite unhelpful to say is that this is God's plan or this is the way we're supposed to be, those kinds of things. Just show up and be present. All right. So there you have it. Please share this podcast with a friend. I appreciate you sharing it. It helps the show to grow, helps me to reach and serve more pregnant folks. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast also wherever you're listening to me. And if you enjoy the podcast, leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. That also helps the show to grow and helps other women to find the show. Come follow me on Instagram. You can get great information about pregnancy and birth there as well. Nice little bite-sized pieces of information. And I'm on Instagram at Dr. Nicole Rankins. So that's it for this episode. Do come on back next week and remember that you deserve a beautiful pregnancy and birth. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.